0: You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at bccfarmacity.org. Good to see everyone here this morning. Glad you could make it. Um, we have been talking lately around here about peace. We We kind of took a a left turn off of our series on being led by the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking about the importance of peace in our life. Um, We spent one Sunday just talking about the importance of peace and and the commandment of Jesus to walk in peace. And last Sunday we looked at the power of peace. It's far bigger, more powerful than I think we've sometimes realized. Um, This morning I want to introduce another aspect of peace. Um, I'll do a very quick review, I want to look at our core verse um, this is jesus in john fourteen twenty seven He says, "Peace, I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid now that's a commandment from Jesus, and one of the things we see right off the top is it's a choice we choose." whether we walk in that peace, or we choose if we allow our heart to be filled with fear. Now, we didn't choose the situation that tempted us. We didn't choose to be tempted to be in fear. But we choose what we do in that situation. We choose how we handle it. And he says, don't let your heart be afraid. He says, I've given you my peace. And so we've talked about that. Peace is a powerful thing. Peace is the glue that holds human relationships together. We looked at that last week. It's a very important component. Well, today I want to add another another component that goes hand in hand with peace. And it's simply a four-letter word, not a bad one, rest. I want to talk this morning about rest. Now, that is not an invitation to rest right now. Let's not all go to sleep, but I want to talk about the importance of rest. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews in just a moment. You're going to find there's a strong connection between rest and restoration. There's a connection between rest and healing. There's a connection between rest and faith. I catch my own mic with my cheek. Alright, I want to, before we even really dig into, into that this morning, let's actually look at physical rest, something we all understand, something medical science has learned a lot about. Let's just talk for a moment about physical rest. Now, I'll throw out my disclaimer right up front. I am not an anatomy expert. I am not a medical doctor. I'm not even a physical trainer. I've had no training, um... I'm a numbers guy, you know that. My background is Bible and accounting. I like numbers, I like math. Um, My least favorite subject in all of my education years was biology. Alright? That was a rough period of high school. I I used to believe, and you you wouldn't have convinced me otherwise, I believed that they planned biology a sophomore year of high school when I'm trying to get a driver's license just to give my parents leverage. Because that's what they did. They held my driver's license in leverage because my first report card in biology was a C, and that was unacceptable. And they said, you get that up to a B, or you don't get a driver's license. So I had to work my backside off. I got it up to a B. I got my license, and I've been bitter about it ever since. Just saying. I need to let that out, don't I? <laughs> Forgiveness, forgiveness. But anyway, I'm so I am not a biology expert, but I did some reading into what they tell us. Wow, where'd all that come from? <laughs> anyway. Um every day, just by the fact that we are living and breathing, we are using up energy. We are burning calories. Um, for most of us not as many as we take in but we are burning calories just by being alive Um, we use up cells literally you use up cells in your body with manual labor with activity with exercise and in your body has to replace those cells and it most often does that while you are sleeping Um, This really it in my message today, but they have medically proven the only exception at the time that I did this research was your brain, that organ set aside, not literally, but aside from your brain, every cell in your body is died and replaced, is died, dies and is replaced every seven to 11 years. Every 7 to 11 years you are literally walking around in a different body than you had a decade ago. Now that's been medically proven. What that creates is a the question they can't answer. Why do you age? Because they're proving your body replaces itself. It was designed to rejuvenate itself. And it it is. So medical science is scratching their head going, "I'm not sure why we age." Now, the Bible has an answer for that, but that's not my message today. So what happens then when you're asleep? A whole lot of restoration happens while you're asleep. Your heart rate slows down. Your, your heart rests a little bit. Your breathing slows down. Literally, all of your body is either slowing or stopping and resting from the labors of the day. Um, if you deny your body the rest you need, it will catch up with you. We know this. You'll, at some point, you'll pay the piper. There's consequences. I had a conversation with somebody a week ago letting me know that their sister, i don't know, they're not here today, but their sister had been burning the candle at both ends. And bless her heart, she's a college student carrying a full-time credit load, had a part-time job teaching because that's the field she's going into. Well, what's happening in a lot of schools right now? Shortages. And it went from part-time teaching to can you cover for someone on maternity leave? It was a huge opportunity, so now she's working a full-time job, carrying a full-time credit load, and still trying to help it at her church. And what happened? She wasn't getting enough sleep. So what happened? Body broke down, and she was sick. Nothing crazy. You're all going, that happens. Most of us would say, been there. What? If you're not giving your body the rest it needs, it will catch up with you. Things break down. Um, for example, your brain needs seven to eight hours of sleep every night, To stay in peak ability, in peak condition. Your skeletal system, especially your bone marrow, needs rest in order to continue producing your blood cells. Um, If your heart doesn't get the rest it needs every night, it will actually work harder than normal the next day just to do what is a normal job. And so they've proven now, if you do that consistently over time, then by not getting enough sleep, you actually increase your risk for heart troubles. A variety of heart conditions or issues you're going to have because you've been working your heart too hard because you're not resting it enough. Um, your immune system, same way. It works best when it's rested. A tired immune system is more susceptible to the different things it's trying to protect you from. Um, here's an interesting one. And it's not a hard and fast rule, but I've actually seen this one. People who don't get enough sleep tend to be Overweight. And you might think, why is that? And don't start looking around the room. It's not a. It's simply this, and I, I get this. I've lived this. When I don't get enough sleep the night before, I eat more the next day. I thought that was just me. Turns out, oh no, no, they've, they've medically can tell you why it's because you didn't get enough sleep you will actually then will increase an in appetite and if you do that consistently over time by not getting enough sleep you now have a bigger appetite and you're bringing in too many calories you're going to gain weight and i'm going huh i kind of knew that i experienced it enough times in my life if i really only get a few hours of sleep the next day it's look out I'm eating everything, I'm drinking everything, I mean, I mean, in any self-discipline, I'm not saying I'm drinking the healthy stuff. I am much more likely to drink all the sugary drinks and get, get that good coffee in the morning. Come on now, I didn't get enough sleep last night, we're gonna get the high sugar coffee. You know what I'm saying? I've done it. Well, if you do that as a lifestyle, you're gonna gain weight. All because you didn't get enough sleep. So long story short, when a person doesn't get enough sleep, they tend to be more forgetful. They tend to gain weight. They have a higher risk of getting sick. They're actually going to age faster because they're working their body harder. They're going to look older sooner. And literally, they are shortening their life expectancy. Just by not getting enough sleep at night, you're literally taking years off your life. This is just all stuff we know in the natural and then we look around in our culture today and many of us have tasted this if not lived it from time to time where sometimes life is just 24/7 you don't have time to breathe And can all my farmers say amen? You're just in a season right now where it's eat, sleep, corn, or beans or whatever's going on. You you get up, you do it. You try to get some sleep at night, and you get up, you do it again, and this goes on for weeks. I get it. Now, hopefully that's just a season. Some people, that's life. That's how they're living 24-7, almost 365. Well, can you do that? Yeah, but it's going to take a toll. It is going to catch up with you. and So these are just natural things we know. Well, guess what? That is another example where God has designed things in this natural realm that we can see, that we experience, that we understand, and they are illustrations for us of things that are true in the spirit realm. Things that are true on the inside. Did you know you need internal rest Just as much as you need external rest. And I can make this real practical. Um, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but how many of you have ever been so wound up on the inside that you could not get your body to sleep on the outside? I mean, now, you are physically exhausted, you are in bed, comfy bed love your bed got your favorite pillow nice jammies, everything is right lights are off maybe you do white noise with a fan or maybe you have perfect silence pitch dark whatever the ideal scenario is you got it all going on and you can't sleep because there's something on the inside that has you so wound up and your mind is running 100 miles an hour and you're thinking about this situation and and that problem and this possible thing that could happen or maybe it won't happen and you want it to it doesn't matter what the details are you are so unrested on the inside that you cannot rest on the outside. You see what I'm saying? There's such a thing as internal rest and it is just as important as external rest. And I think we've all been there. I know I know I have. So the state of external rest we would call sleep. We need sleep. Amen. Do it later, not now. <laughs> but the state of resting Internally, is peace. It's choosing peace. And a really great thing about resting internally is you can do it while you're awake on the outside. (laughs) You choose peace on the inside to bring rest and calm. You can learn to live in a state of peace. No matter how much chaos is going on around you on the outside. And we, we've already seen pictures of that in Jesus. What I want to do is go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. Now, I'm not reading the whole verse. I'm just reading the first part of the verse. I'll point that out. Hebrews four three. he says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. Now he's been talking about a rest for, I think it's all of chapters 3 and 4, and it may be more than that. He's talking about rest, and it's a it's a condition of peace that we walk in with God. But he put something here. He said, Those who have believed do enter that rest. Um that word believed is the Greek word pesto. Comes from the word i I call it pistis, but I'm thinking a lot of the eyes are an E sound, so maybe it's pistis. I don't know if I'm saying it right. But it means faith. That's that word, faith. Some translations will actually say it that way. Um, but he's saying those who have believed, those who are in faith, enter the rest. Well, then the opposite would also be true. Who are those that don't enter the rest? Those who didn't believe. Those who are not in faith. Um, hold that thought. I want to read this out of the Passion Translation. Just Again, just the first part of the verse. For those of us who believe... Faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. Us entering into that rest is an act of faith. Faith and rest go hand in hand. If we're not entering into that rest, we're not in faith like we need to be. They're going together. Um, oh, it's in my notes somewhere. But I don't know where. Previously in chapter 3, he's talking about the uh, that first generation of Jews that Moses led out of Egypt who did not get to go into the promised land. And he was calling the promised land their land of rest. And he says they did not enter in because of their unbelief. I was just connecting the negative side. Those who entered in, it's because of their belief. Those who believed into the rest... But he says that generation didn't believe. They wouldn't trust God. They did not believe. They were not in faith. Other translations say they did not enter into the rest because of their lack of faith. So faith and rest go hand in hand. They're connected. Okay. We are living in the day of rest. I'm not going to dig real deep here, but I'm going to point it out. Um We're in what the... uh the more the prophetic teachers call the church age um it's also called the day of grace. We're in that window of time in between Jesus's first coming and his second coming, where god's plan for the jews is is largely on hold he's still doing things but their timetable has been paused for two prophetic days to squeeze in the church age that 's where we 're at right now, and like i said i 'm not going to dig real deep in that, but they also call this the day of rest. The church age is the day of rest, and the idea being we now live in a in a period with God where we 're not earning. What he has for us. It's all that conversation the Apostle Paul had through his epistles. Whereas under the law, everything was based on works. But now under grace, it's based on his grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It says in Ephesians chapter 2. There's this dichotomy. We're now in the age of grace. And he compares that to rest. So you're not earning your salvation you're receiving the free gift of salvation. He offered it by grace. You receive it by faith. Again, Ephesians chapter 2. So this is called the day of rest. He's a connecting rest with faith and with grace. You could also consider a type of the Sabbath. I won't tug too hard at that one, but we're living in the Sabbath day in a sense where we're resting from labors and we receive from God by grace. But the point being, in our walk with God, we receive by faith through grace. And it's not of works. And and we could go to several of his epistles to see that. My question then, and the question we should ask ourselves often as we walk with God, am I trying to work for it or am I resting in it? When it comes to my walk with God, when it comes to things I'm talking to God about, maybe it's things I'm praying for in my life, am I trying to work for it? Or am I resting in it? Now, when we go to the Old Covenant, it's a little different. We go look at the works they did under the Old Covenant, and they're much more natural, they're much more physical, they're easy to point out, and we don't tend to do those things anymore. For example... I hope nobody this morning brought a cow to offer in the offering today. Haven't had that in quite a while. That, that's not how we, we do it in the, under the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, they would come to church with a cow or a lamb, a goat, a pigeon, um, grain offering. I love that harvest is coming out, but nobody came to church with corn or beans this morning. They did back then. Everything was very physical. Very literal. We're not doing that anymore. And so those kind of works, we don't really think about. But without realizing, in some ways, we, we tend to replace them. There's still a tendency to think we need to work for things. Um, maybe you've seen some of what the Bible talks about, the, the, about your confession, about the words of your mouth. Proverbs says that death and life is in the power of your tongue. Your words matter. And we know that words matter. Um, I, I think it was, uh, uh, I'm picturing him. And I can't think of his name. That's embarrassing. <laughs> He's a preacher. But he says words are nuclear. They are. That We talk about that childhood saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie out of the pit of hell. There are people damaged in life from words of people that were close to them. Sometimes words of parents, careless words in times of anger that scar them, hurt them. Words are powerful. Scripture says death and life are in the power of your tongue, your words. But now we may then, sometimes we get it going a little too far with that and we start thinking, well, if I'll just quote this Bible verse enough times, then I'll get what it says or that'll work in my life and I just need to keep saying this and, and start counting maybe. but Maybe after the 500th time I quote that verse, then I'm going to get that in my life. Well, no, it's true that your words matter, but don't turn it into works. It's not a, it's not a, a formula in a sense. Or maybe people do it with prayer. Well, if I just pray long enough, hard enough... If I can just, by the 400th hour of prayer, God's going to answer my prayer because I just I worked hard and I spent time on my knees until my knees hurt. No. Is prayer important? Yes. Are there times we pray long? Yes. But is it a formula that we can turn into works? No. No. See, there's this tendency. If I'll just read enough of my Bible, I'll see victory in my life. If I just hunker down, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a week. Whew, good for you. But don't try and turn it into works. You're not going to earn anything. God's not going to sit back and say, Wow, they're really working hard. I better bless them. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not by works. So you see, there's that line. All those are good things. You need to watch your words and certain things not come out of your mouth. Likewise, there's some things you need to say on purpose. We need to watch words. We need to have an active prayer life. We need to be reading the Bible. Those are all good things. But they're not formulas that we turn into works. You understand the difference. We need to be careful about that. What did Jesus say? I want to go back to this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor, all you that are working hard. He says, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you more things to do, and I'll give you more work, and I'll show you what work really is. No. Oh, that's not what he said at all. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Next first. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He does have a yoke, but it's easy. He does have a burden, but it's light. There is work to do for the kingdom, but it will not destroy you. One reason Anything He asks you to do, there's a grace for. If He's asking you to do something, then He'll offer grace to do it. He'll empower you to do what He's asking you to do. And it's not hard on you. But there's grace for it. He gives us grace to do those things. I'll say this. If you're working hard for Him, and your burden is heavy, then maybe He isn't the one that filled your cart. You're pulling a heavy load, but he's not the one that loaded it. Someone else helps you load that. Why? Because his load is light. His burden's easy. His load is light. Am I quoting that right? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. There we go. So if we're if we're hauling a heavy load, um, someone else helped us fill that. It wasn't him. I want to I want to show you a concept. First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. He says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, don't shut it off at the first part of the verse thinking, well, he ain't talking about me. (laughs) No, don't do that. Um, To be honest, any one of you in this room You you may look around America and think you're not the most blessed person out there. Um, You start looking around the world, you're going to figure out you lived on some of the best soil in this world right now. Your simple life is rich compared to most of this world. It's all about perspective. Don't dismiss this verse. He's given you more than you realize. So... Go ahead and allow yourself to be in this verse. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. Who does what now? Because He does this for you. Uh, He gives us richly all things to do what? Enjoy. He's actually giving you things with the intention you're to enjoy them. There are things in your life He wants you to enjoy. Now, this is this is a tricky one. If you look up that Greek word there that's been translated enjoy, what it really means is enjoy. Yep. Nothing surprising there. It means to take pleasure or satisfaction in the possession of or the experience of. Yeah, they absolutely got it right. Your Bible did not mislead you. The translators did not mess it up. God gives you all things richly to enjoy. But I want you to know this morning there's a connection between enjoyment and rest. They go together. Did you know you are commanded to enjoy life? Now, just to clarify that is not the same as saying you are commanded to go enjoy all the sin you want to. Did not say that. Scripture does not teach that. Don't try and manipulate it that way. No, no, no. But he does say you're commanded to enjoy life. Enjoy life. I'm going to give you some examples and I'm going to go back to the old covenant. Even under the old covenant, when God laid out his covenant with the nation of Israel, have you have you noticed this? Uh i won 't read everything but i 'm going to read several deuteronomy eleven twenty one he's speaking directly to the to his kids the nation of Israel and i'm jumping in the middle of a sentence but verse twenty one that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth how would we say that in today's vernacular like like heaven on earth If you're following God like you should be, if you're doing the things He asks you to do, if you're a doer of His Word, you're seeking His plan for your life, His plan will have days if not seasons that will be just like heaven on earth. Now, I'm not suggesting... That life doesn't have trials and temptations. It does. The comparison that we'll see even in a moment, and the comparison made through Hebrews 3 and 4 if we'd looked a little deeper. The promised land that the first generation did not get to go into, but the second generation did, led by Joshua when they took that land, that promised land, that's comparative to our lives in the earth today. We do have a promised land in the earth today that we are to step into, but we must step in by faith. That's how the first generation didn't get it. Just as they did not get it because of unbelief, we must believe. And there are giants in our land that we're walking into. But go back and study how they took the promised land. As long as they were doing what God asked them to do and they did it his way, he fought the battles for them. They didn't push the walls of Jericho down. But when they did what he said, uh, he did it for them. And the battle was easy. So yeah, there are battles. But if we'll do it his way, they're easy. They're easy. So that's comparable to our life in the earth. He's saying here, like heaven on earth, days of heaven above, like the days of the heaven above the earth. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 6 There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Did you know there were that many offerings? There's a lot of them. Verse 7, and there with all your offerings you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Don't read over those words. He commanded them, and you will rejoice. You will rejoice. When you do all these things I'm asking you to do, and you come into the land that I have sworn to give to your fathers, that promised land, and when you do all these things, you will rejoice. Verse 12, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants and the Levite who's within your gates since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. What's he saying? Not just you going to rejoice and your wife and your kids and all your household and all looks like all your employees. But you're all going to rejoice coming into his plan for your life. Verse 18. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. You and your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servants. That Levite again. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. What? In everything you do, you're going to rejoice in it. More rejoicing. Uh, chapter 14, verse 26. And you will spend that money got everyone's attention. <laughs> and you will spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat therefore before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice you and your household. It's all through the law of Moses. Yeah, there's a lot of commandments. yeah, there was a lot of things they did, but they were also told, and you'll rejoice. And I don't think it was forced. No, you rejoice at what he was doing. At the hand of blessing, everything you do, prospering, rejoicing. Um, verse 14, I'm in chapter 16, verse 11. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. I'm going to keep going. Verse 14 in, of chapter 16. And you shall rejoice in your feast. You and your son and your daughter. Not Levites in there somewhere. Verse 15. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce, in all the work of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. He's got a plan here. And do you see it rejoicing as a part of it? He's telling them again and again and again. Now, I'm going to throw in one more little piece here before we leave the old covenant. When we go down to Deuteronomy 28, what you get into is that chapter of blessing and cursing where you see the blessing of Abraham and all the things that God is going to do when you walk in His covenant. But then you've got what's called the curse of the law. All of the bad things that are going to happen if you don't walk in the covenant and you don't do the things he's commanded. Do what he asks, huge blessing. Don't do what he asks, curse of the law, cursing. And you look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. We're getting into the cursing side. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. What he says, you didn't serve him, even after all those wonderful things. He says, therefore, you'll serve your enemies, whom Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in need of everything. And he'll put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. That was the curse of the law. But he didn't say just because you disobeyed his commandments. What did he say? Because you didn't serve him with joy and gladness. It was not only that they didn't serve Him, it was how they didn't serve Him. He's looking for you to serve Him with joy and gladness. He wants your life to be full of rejoicing. And it's not just an Old Testament example. It's all through the New Testament also. I'm not going to turn to all of them, but remember that passage in Corinthians that talks about when we bring our offerings to the Lord. And you remember that little part about what kind of giver God loves? It says God loves a a cheerful giver. Not just that you're a giver. Not just that you obey the Lord with your finances, with tithes and offerings. No, 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 no. How did you do it? Were you cheerful? Were you rejoicing in it? Just like in that old covenant, He's the same God. He has not changed. Did you have a smile? when you brought your offering to the Lord? Were you cheerful about it? Did you know it displeases Him when we're mopey? When we walk around all depressed and feeling sorry for ourselves? You know there's no faith in that. And it displeases Him. He wants us to walk around with joy and gladness. Um, How about Philippians 4.4? It says, Rejoice in the Lord, Most of the time, if things are going good, if people are treating you right and not saying ugly things about you, if everything in your life is going good, well then, by golly, rejoice in the Lord. But if you're having a bad day, we understand. Now, he didn't say any of that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Just in case we didn't hear him. Again, I will say, rejoice. Even when things are going bad? Yeah, he didn't say thank God for everything, but he said thank God in everything. Even if maybe you've been arrested and you're in a jail cell and you're chained to the guard, you and Silas, (laughs) and at midnight, what did they do? Started singing praises in the middle of a jail cell. Sentenced to who knows what in that particular instance. What did they do? Begin to praise God at midnight and sang so loud that everyone in the cells heard. And it worked well, if you remember how that story ended. So many times, people do not enjoy what they have. There was a song in my youth, not to quote an old rock and roll song of my youth, but there was a song talking about really don't know what you got until it's gone. It was great when you had it, but you didn't appreciate it. You didn't take any value in it. And now that it's gone, wow, well, you're really missing it. I really wish I could have that back. And that's a horrible place to be. <laughs> I'm not going to quote from the song. It was just a heathen rock song. <laughs> but it was true. <laughs> Don't know what you got till it's gone. Don't live that way. Here's one that some people, okay, here's one that the younger people tend to take for granted. <laughs> You'll see what I mean here right now. Some people don't really value their health until they start to lose it. You know what I'm saying? You know how wonderful it is and how great it is to wake up in the morning and not ache? To crawl out of bed and just land on your feet with energy and ready to go for the day and not hurt and moan all the way to the bathroom to brush your teeth or comb your hair or jump in the shower. You know, you just to wake up with energy, right? You know how wonderful that is? It's even more wonderful when you've lost it for a little bit. It's wonderful when your body doesn't hurt. Now, this is a minor thing, but I rolled my ankle yesterday. Crystal watched me do it. I was out in the driveway, and I just stepped on it. Funny, I don't know. It happened so fast, I'm really not sure what I did, but I just kind of rolled my ankle a little bit, and now it's sore, and I've been limping a little bit. It's better today than it was yesterday. It's not a big deal. But life is so much better when you're not hobbling all over the place because you did something to your ankle. You know? So... I know that's a silly example. That's a little example. That's a yesterday example. I could have just moaned and whined and complained all day. Or I can rejoice. Why? Because God was still good. My life is still good. I still had a good ankle on the other side. (laughs) You know? And it feels better today. But so many people don't value what they have until they, they lose it. Now, it could be health. It could be relationships. It could be finances. It could be their career or any other number of things where you really do. I bet all of us, every person in this room, if you sit down and think about it, you've got some wonderful things in your life. You've got some wonderful people in your life. But are you valuing them? Are you taking those things for granted? Are you thankful For what God's already done in your life, not all the things that we're dreaming about, or man, my life be so much better if I can get a hold of. Are you thankful for what you have right now? See, there's a lie of the devil that that we've probably all played with this a time or two, but a lie of the enemy that your enjoyment, your fulfillment in life, is in something that's just out in front of you. That if you'll work hard enough. Eventually, you'll be able to enjoy your life. If you'll just, you know, one of these days it'll all come together. If you work hard enough, you'll get to the right place financially, and then you can enjoy life. Or maybe you'll get to the right place where your health is back where it needs to be, and and then you can enjoy life. Or maybe you'll get to the right place spiritually in your walk with God, and boy, then life's just going to be fun. Or maybe once you get your marriage on a better track and stronger and, and healthier with your spouse, by golly, then we're going to enjoy life. Or once we get all them kids straightened out, then we'll enjoy life. Or once I get my retirement goals met and get all those things funded, by, once we retire, boy, then we're going to enjoy life. You know, Or once we get into the right house, or once I get the right car, or the right truck, or... This could go on and on. Once I get to fill in the blank, then life will be good. That's a lie. See, on one level, when, when are you going to start enjoying life? When are you going to start rejoicing? <laughs> I think in some cases, most everyone, if you're a child of God, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, then when this life ends, when this body fails you, Heaven is your eternal home. And the devil knows that. And for the most part, and I'd say pretty much for the most part, he can't touch that. He's not going to stop you from enjoying heaven. So what will he settle for? Make sure you don't get any, any taste of that heaven while you're still here. And one of the ways he does that is to convince you that it's still out in front of you. And if you'll just keep working for it, maybe one of these days you'll finally get to enjoy something. Where God has said, I want you to enjoy every day. Are you enjoying what he's already done for you? Are you with me? When are you going to start enjoying? Um, Because, okay, I think I said it, but this is the other side of it. Don't be so busy hoping for a better tomorrow that you take for granted what He's already done for you today. There's a thesis of what I'm trying to get across. Uh, I it's think a, It's a book by Joyce Meyer. I have read the book, but the title of the book is enough. You, you can almost just read the title. Enjoying where I am on the way to where I'm going. Am I going somewhere? Yeah. Does God have a big future for me? Yeah. But I'm still going to enjoy the today on my way to tomorrow. It's a heart attitude. It's a way of living life. Um, I'll add an element to it, and I'm, I'm just about done for this morning. But I want to add the element of stewardship. Are you being a good steward with the things that God has already blessed you with? And that. Sometimes you think stewardship, your mind goes straight to money, and and that would be true, but it's far bigger than that. How about your physical body? God has blessed you with an amazing body. These bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Are you being a good steward with your body? Are you taking care of your body? Are you getting enough sleep at night since we were talking about that? Are you being a good steward with what He's blessed you with and taking care of it? Are you being a good steward with the finances that He blessed you with? Are you being a good steward with the talents and abilities that He blessed you with? Are you being a good steward with the calling that He's placed on your life? He he could go all kinds of directions with that, but the things that He's already done for you, are you being a good steward of it? Are you thankful for it? Because there's some principles that Jesus introduced. I'm not going to go turn to all of them, but these will probably sound familiar to you. Um, Jesus said in one place, For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Uh, The context of that was the parable of the talents, where he had given certain things to a bunch of servants and said, Now go use it. And the ones who were faithful with what they'd been given... Came back with increase, and he blessed them with even more. But the ones who did nothing with what he gave them had even what they little they had taken away. They weren't good stewards with what he'd given him. In another place, Jesus said this: He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. What's he saying? If you're not going to be faithful in the little things, he's not going to reward you with bigger. How do you get into the bigger things with God? You be faithful with the little ones. He says, if you won't be faithful with a little bit, you won't be faithful with the big things either. See, we we sometimes think that. Oh, I'm not real worried about those little things, but when I get into that right big opportunity, I'll get it right. Jesus said, no, you won't. (laughs) If you're not going to get it right in the little things, he won't even trust you with the big things. So connect that to what we're talking about. Are you being a good steward with what He's already done in your life? The good things He's already done for you. Are you grateful? Do you rejoice in it? Have you told Him thank you lately? Um, That's a whole other series I've talked about that is an attitude of gratitude. Do you want to know one of the number one ways you can, increase your capacity to receive from God is be thankful for what He's already given you. Gratitude opens the door for Him to do more. If you've ever been a parent, you've probably kind of stepped into that. It's easier, and I'm not saying you pick favorite with your kids. Don't don't go down that path. But it's easier to love on the ones that love you back, that say thank you, that are good with the things you've given them. Now, it's harder with the ones that they don't seem to care what you've given them. They are hard on the things you give them. They seem ungrateful for anything you've ever done for them. Now, I'm not saying I'm not giving you license to treat them unequally. I, my mind also goes to the picture of the prodigal son, and God still treated both sons equally, so I'm not giving us license, but I recognize the temptation. Are you with me? Make it easy on your Heavenly Father. Be grateful for what He's done for you. Be thankful. He loves that. He He, he says rejoice. Mm. Well, where do I close this this morning? Don't push off to tomorrow. What are you thankful for right now? What things do you have to enjoy right now? One last thing, and I think I'll close with this. And it's back to that attitude thing it is so easy to just be negative about things I think it's just because we're tempted by the tempter we're tempted by this society, our society tends to be that way it is so easy to walk into any situation and see what's wrong it's so easy to look at people and find fault and to see weakness and to recognize oh there's something wrong about this. We were talking about that with the youth group recently. This isn't in my notes, but I'll throw it in real quick. Jesus said in a very popular passage, He said, um, Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened. That's a wide open statement. He didn't say if you just seek good things and you'll find good things. No, if you're seeking bad things, guess what you're going to find? It's a spiritual truth. If all you're looking for is the bad in someone, you're gonna find it. Like none of us perfect. I don't care who you pick, you look long enough, you can find a fault. Because you're gonna find what you're looking for. Or you can be the person that looks for the good thing. And with most people you don't have to look super long. You can find some good. There are some you look a little longer. But Jesus said, you'll seek what you're, you'll find what you're seeking for. Seek and you will find. So if you're looking for something good about anyone, you look long enough, you'll find it. Now I'll give you a little piece of free advice and I'll get back to this. Once you find it, celebrate it. Make a deal of it. Especially if you had to work hard. Put a spotlight on, I just love this about you. But Build them up. Find that one good thing and make a big deal over it. Encourage them in it. That's what the New Testament calls it—edify—to charge them up like a battery, build them up. Don't tear them down. Build them up. That's what my pastor says all the time. He says we don't tear people down; we build people up. I think he says it the other way: we build people up; we don't tear people down. But it's, it's true. That's biblical. You're gonna you're gonna find what you're looking for. But it's so easy then back to this to be negative. Let's pick a silly example. you ever got up in the middle of the night and you just caught your pinky toe on a corner of furniture or something? Alright. Now, in that moment, where does all of your attention go? To the pinky toe. Never mind, I got nine other toes that feel wonderful. I got ten fingers working great. Now, I realize that toe is screaming, but my heart's still beating, I'm still breathing air, mine's still working. Life is great, but where's all my attention? On that one pinky toe. Now, on one hand, yes, the toe is hurting, we need to help the toe. But even in moment, there's that we need to make sure that we're not so in, so enraptured in that one negative thing that we forget all the good. Okay, maybe that's a silly example, but hang with me. Um... Now, I've made that point. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Just as you can always find something negative, you can always find something positive in any situation. One of my favorite stories, it's a silly story, and it's not even my story. I heard another preacher tell this. It was Jesse DePlanus. He said he was early in ministry, just beginning to travel as a traveling preacher. He got invited to go preach a service at a guy's church. Pastor invited him in, and he's pretty new. And so he comes into this church, drives however far to get there, Preaches his heart out and does the best he can to help that pastor. And then when it's all said and done, the pastor gave him his pay for the morning. Gave him a Dr. Pepper. I said, I didn't say anything. You know, he said thank you and left, but then he gets in the car and he calls his wife. Kathy, I wasn't with him, and he calls her up and he says, Kathy, they gave me a Dr. Pepper. And her response, she said, well, at least you weren't thirsty. <laughs> what? Choosing to find something positive. Looking for that. Maybe you've got to look hard. But just have that attitude. I'm going to be a good steward with what God's given me. And I'm going to be positive. Why? Because God is a big God. I told you it's connected to faith. No matter what it looks like, even if all you got was the Dr. Pepper, is God still God? Is He ultimately your source? Is He going to take care of you? Then no matter what it looks like on the outside, I'm going to smile and rejoice. Why? I have a big God, and He told me to rejoice. Amen. I'm going to enjoy where I am on the way to where I'm going.